Welcome to the GateWorld Podcast. You are listening to episode number 70 of the GateWorld Podcast. I'm Darren. And I'm Tammy. Tammy, where did you come from? You're supposed to be David. You sound so much more sexy. Well, you know. And this is the show where two nerds talk about Stargate. Tonight we're talking about life, the newest episode, episode 9 of Stargate Universe, and David is on the road. We can thank him for getting together and editing the podcast for us, but uh, Tammy is sitting in tonight. Welcome back to the show. Thank you, thank you. I am, and I would have had a better comeback had uh, had I known you were going to do that to me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so David and I have been talking about Stargate Universe for a couple months now through the episodes, so before we start talking about life, why don't you give me your 30-second what you think of SGU so far? Well, there's two episodes I have not seen yet, so okay. I, I have to watch them, but overall, it's a little slower than what I what I would have I used to yeah. of Stargate, but that it is. I like the fact that there's so much intensity of character building, and that you know. So I, and I understood that from the get go that that's what the show was going to be about. So I'm not disappointed because I didn't expect it to be SG1. I didn't expect it to be SGA. I expected it to be something totally different, and that's what I'm getting. Well, let's talk about this one. Okay. Let's talk about the big elephant in the in the middle of the room first. In the room? We can do that. that. That would be the fact that for the first time, you know, not only have they been doing the whole a uh, little bit more adult theme, but they've taken it a step further and, you know, included gay characters. Mm-hmm. And one of our main characters is mm-hmm. gay. Have not seen this on Stargate Atlantis. Have not seen it on SG-1. There's, I mean, I'm a big Star Trek fan, and there's there's been debates over the years as to why this show and that show never included an openly gay character but it's 2009 and this is a character drama so here we are and i'd have to say i'm of i'm of two sides with how they've done it kind of ties into you know a whole discussion point about camille and sharon but and them as you know just not not just themselves but just stargate as a whole they've never been known for doing relationships well at least out of my opinion but I think that um, on the on the positive side, I was very impressed that they were able to stay away from the stereotypical yeah. um, that you see on TV of the gay character. They didn't go, you know. Thank God they didn't go that direction. They they kept it very focused on that this was a a couple that was you know that missed each other, that loved each other, um, because in all the different little excerpts as they showed how everything you know went through with you know cooking dinner you know sitting at the table and talking about you know everything mm, laughing the serious. yeah the whole yeah. montage was um and you know just everything they did as they progressed you through that relationship in that short amount of time so you had a feel of it i was actually very impressed i was too listening to the actors talk ahead of time i i kind of expected this but i was i was very pleasantly uh, I guess not surprised. I was I was happy with the way that the relationship was portrayed, and and I'm kind of on two minds uh, on this issue. And we've got a caller who expresses my sentiment pretty well. Hey guys, this is Colonel T from Montreal, Canada. I'm just weighing in on the episode of life, but more specifically on the about the whole Camille Ray issue. 
As a longtime Stargate fan, I find it cool that the powers that be are branching out and touching on more issues. This is a great thing for the Stargate franchise. But as a Christian, I don't agree with the Ray's lifestyle. But what I appreciated in this episode was the way that it was handled. They didn't show it off for thrills, they portrayed the relationship between Ray and her partner as a long-term loving relationship. And for me, this made it better. This told me that what these people, that is, the makers of the show, can handle and portray issues in a mature way, and while I personally don't agree with the character's point of view, I can still watch and enjoy the show, knowing that it's being done in a way that is respectful of others. And that's what is important. Personally, while I don't endorse the lifestyle, I like the fact that the writers have chosen to include gay characters on SGU, um, because they're trying to do realistic character drama. Uh, like you said, this is this is the relationship so far that we've seen on the show that I think has been the most sort of stable and healthy and mature and adult. It's not a matter of of the crisis of the week and who's sleeping with who and and as as lesbian kisses have been done so much on television it's the lesbian kisses is portrayed as hot that normally it's like the big you know male fantasy moment yeah male fantasy moment the and, two chicks um, kiss yeah and it was not portrayed in that way it was portrayed very much that this was a loving couple yeah by the same token what you just said feeds right into where i'm on the negative side of this how's that it really struck me that they were able to write this scene and write this whole relationship montage and really portray this relationship wonderfully. And it really made me sit there and think, okay, is is this due to the fact that it's they just were not sure what their leeway was or was this political correctness that every heterosexual relationship on this show is screwed up? Mm-hmm. Scott, you know, is screwed up. Uh, Chloe is screwed up. You got the you know the chick in the in the show today who's you know using sex as stress relief. Yeah, Lisa Park. We'll talk about her. And you know then you have um, you know Young then you and have his Young wife. and his wife, and you know the possible who is who is the character that he must be on the ship that he's having you know he had an affair with. So every single heterosexual relationship is in the drama drama soap opera, and you know if you're if you're going to you know, which I have no problem. I'm happy with the fact that they portrayed uh, Camille's relationship in in a loving and stable, like you said, healthy way. But it really made me sit there and sit back and go, "Are you scared to do anything that's not politically correct with this particular relationship?" Or to portray their relationship as potentially negative in some way? Yes, that they have an issue or anything where it's it's not taboo. You know, there's no problems with raking the male-female relationship through the coals because it's the norm. You know, com- comedians do it, movies do it, you know, mm-hmm. sitcoms do it. But yet, because it's their first foray into using the gay characters, is there a kid-glove approach? Eh, it doesn't surprise me if they would have necessarily chosen to, to play it a little safe, um, to do the first gay relationship that they do, to, to, to do it sort of with gloves on. So, I mean, you get all into all kinds of sticky issues and, and concerns from the gay community with, you know, homosexual characters being portrayed as promiscuous. You inject some of that stuff that other characters, heterosexual characters like Lieutenant Scott are doing, mm-hmm. then that's that's a can of worms. You know, at the same token, I can't say that, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say I don't endorse the lifestyle, but I'm not going to say I do either. I have friends that are gay that are in committed relationships and others who are not. 
And it's to me, it is absolutely no different the way they act with their other half than I do with my other half. So that's why I say it's a political correctness because it, it can be misconstrued if you don't. But, you know, my friends have the exact same problems I have. They have, you know, they go through the exact same things I do with fights or, you know, okay, he's annoying the heck out of me. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't want to talk to you right now. I don't like you. Um, You know, different things in in dating, um, all of those things. So the fact that the media previously has portrayed it in in such a stereotypical manner with some of the sitcoms and that, society either is, you know, either going to deal with it or not deal with it, but to continue to put things on a pedestal or set them aside or treat everything with kid gloves, that's not going to, you know, that's not helping anyone to be accepting or non-accepting because you're not giving a real picture. And it's the same with heterosexual. I like the idea that there there is a character on it because we're doing so much drama, so much mm-hmm. uh, crises of the week in relationships or this and that. So much of the drama focuses on relationships and sex, and it's great to have a character on the ship who has a home life back on Earth that is just really... Yes. Stable and normal. And, you know, you yes. look at some of the secondary characters like, like Brody and you imagine this guy could could easily have a, a wife of 20 years and a couple of kids back at home that he just wants to get back to and he's just a scientist. And uh, I think it's intriguing mm-hmm. that the, the first time they portray somebody who has a perfectly normal, loving home life is is a homosexual relationship. I think that's intriguing. All you want is for finally a writer to be able to write a relationship that you could, you know, you can identify with. And I'm sure this mm-hmm. is probably how some people feel about Camille and Sharon. Finally, somebody wrote a relationship I can identify with. And I, I definitely don't begrudge them that. Yeah. But I do begrudge the fact that to the the majority of writers that what we're seeing right now with the heterosexual relationships is the norm, too. You know, and not everybody's like that either. Yeah, for some people it is. It's funny that you that you put it that way because I was thinking that if I was stuck on the destiny and had the opportunity to send my consciousness home and go back and visit my wife and kids, I of the characters that we've seen do that so far, I relate more to Camille, this this lesbian character in this in this mm-hmm. long term relationship, than I do to anybody else who's who's gone home to Earth so far. Now, what about Lieutenant Scott? He gets to go home, and as we found out in Air Part Three, he doesn't have any parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was he was raised by this priest who died when he was sixteen years old, and uh, he's got a buddy. Maybe he's going to go see, but who he ends up going and seeing is this girl that we we heard about in his flashback in Air Part mm-hmm. Three when he's talking to the priest. He got this girl pregnant. She's sixteen, and he he's sure she's going to have an abortion, and he right. finds out in this episode she did not. And he is a baby daddy. I and oh my gosh, I thought you know, the reaction when he when he originally, you know, not you know he had to like check himself because he's not in his own body. Mm-hmm. When he was like, "Why didn't you tell him?" and it was like, "Whoa!" <laughs> and he had to check himself right then and there, like, "Okay, whoa, I'm not in my own body. I gotta chill here." Yeah, I, Brian J played that very well. He did. I was I was very impressed with how he did the whole the whole thing. Brian did a great job as the show played out too. 
when he was um, telling Chloe, I guess maybe I'm one of the few that has not been a huge Eli fan until this moment in, when he was in the... Um, when he was in there with Scott. and You started warming up to him now. Just now. I mean, I just haven't... Like I said, though, I have... There's still two episodes I need to see. There's been kind of a buddy thing going on with Scott and Eli since the first episode that has been cast in a really interesting light by the fact that Scott is now with Chloe. And Eli has a thing for Chloe. It's sort mm-hmm. of put a barrier between those two guys. So I like seeing them together in these sort of personal scenes. Unfortunately, Scott doesn't really want to have anything to do with him in this particular scene. He just wants <laughs> him to shut up and leave. Yeah, but, and he uh, did that very well. Brian played that really well. Yeah, but it's nice that Eli's trying and he's, he's not mm-hmm. just basically written off his friendship with, with Matt. The Scott uh, stuff on Earth as a as a baby daddy, uh, and going in and seeing the girl again, it's it's an interesting piece of backstory. I'm not sure how far it's going to extend into the future, and so I'm not sure how relevant it is for the present. Are we going to see this girl again? Is the fact that he has a son back on Earth going to be significant to him in the future, or is it just a piece of backstory? So that's kind of the concern that I have with this. B storyline mm-hmm. uh, it's it's mm-hmm. really drama drama I mean yes. drama yes. drama in a negative way I want character drama out of SGU but this is I think I felt kind of uh, the bubbles uh, started coming up from the soap uh, yeah a little bit uh, it's, as, it's as far as the show has gone so far for me into mm-hmm. soap opera territory the way that the scene plays out with him him finding out that the kid is his and uh, you know, you were going to go to college, and uh, Matt's offered to give you his army check, and she says no, and I'm a dancer. The way that the scene played out to me seemed really predictable and actually almost mm-hmm. cliche. I agree 100% with that. I kind of wonder where they're going with Scott because my theory, mm-hmm. and this is my theory on Scott's character, is he's a sex addict. Yeah, that was my theory. Oh, well, see, there we go. See, I haven't listened to all the podcasts. Would you listen to I my podcast? <sighs> I haven't when I haven't watched the show because you guys will tell me everything. Listen to my podcast. <laughs> I will listen to it after I watch it. I hope we see that 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 is the case and that that pans out and continues to be an issue for the character because if you're a sex addict, you don't just find a really nice girlfriend and settle no. down. That's not mm-hmm. the end of the story. And no. if that's the end of that story, then I think the theory that he's a sex addict is kind of blown out of the water, and he's just mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. then he's just kind of a player. We also have Young back in town, going back to oh. see Emily, and uh, discovers that Telford is there. This was the jaw-dropping last moment of the episode Earth. Telford and Young are enemies, enemies, and they've been sort of professional enemies, if you know what I mean, up until this mm-hmm. point. They're 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 feuding over command. And by going and having dinner with his wife and telling her things like, I have reason to believe that Everett is sleeping with TJ again, that's making the feud personal. Now these guys are going to be bitter, bitter enemies all the way down. The flashbacks, that is something that I wonder if that's going to come into play when Scott had the flashbacks of Telford. Yeah, what's going on there? He he comes back to the ship after being in Telford's body, falls asleep, and has a dream from Telford's POV. Apparently, latent memories from the mm-hmm. host body. So that's, yeah, that starts making you ask the question, well, how much of this is going to happen to other people? I think and... that's huge. That's a huge development. Mm-hmm. Especially when, I mean, Scott is clever enough to figure out that 
Just because you see it doesn't necessarily mean that you're seeing an actual memory. It could be that Telford had a dream about Emily, mm-hmm. which seems to me to be what they are, what they're doing with the young TJ thing. And I'm I'm a little bit on the fence about the stones now. I was okay through Earth a couple weeks ago. There's a lot of going home and having having drama. I'm a little concerned about the stones and and the way that they're being used, not as a as a vehicle for science fiction storytelling, but just sort of a get our characters home so that they can have non science fiction drama. Well, so Young comes back and beats the crap out of Telford, gives <sighs> him a beatdown at the end of the episode. What What did you think about that? Oh, I loved it. I thought it was I because he had it coming. He did, in my opinion, he does. He did because of the fact that what he did to Young, when Young went to confront him in front of his wife, so you know she would, she would know it would all be done right there in the open, and that Telford, you know, called and had whoever disconnect the stones, so mm-hmm. he wouldn't get his butt kicked, because he would, you know, it was like, to me that was dirty pool. Oh yeah. Well, speaking of sex, <laughs> back on the ship, this oh uh, this cute little science nerd that that I fell in love with after her Kino video, Lisa Park, is apparently making her way through the crew roster. Stress relief 101. Stress relief. Because you know, I that's apparently that's become her uh, her way to read, as she told TJ. Yeah. <laughs> Which leads to the one of the best forum thread titles at GateWorld that I've seen in a long time, which is, Who is a more avid reader, Lisa Park or Matthew Scott? <laughs> that is a good one. Oh, yeah. wow. She's an avid uh, reader. You know, and that, unfortunately, seemed the most true to society right now on how someone yeah. handles things. That's quote-unquote sex scene. I don't think it's really a sex scene. It's a, a no. foreplay scene. I th- mm-hmm. rings more true to me than than something like like Scott and Chloe deciding to go for it when they think they're about to die in mm-hmm. in light. I agree with you there. She's now, letting off steam and she has a ship full of capable marines. Because after the way she treated that the first guy that she was with, yeah, and then he was like hi, and she's like hello, yeah, <laughs> total right brush off, him. which is kind of weird because if she's on the ship for years. Or even if it's a year, then, you know, there's only so many guys on this ship. Yeah, She's going to work her way through all of them, and <laughs> she can't snub them all. She's going to get a reputation really quickly. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, you, you, you know, if you're going to do this round-robin thing, honey, you got to be nice. <laughs> it definitely gave an aspect to the character. Was it gratuitous? I don't know. I, I thought it gave a a definite insight to what people can do when... They don't know what else to do, mm-hmm. and you know, keep some sanity. You know, the next one you see her with is Greer. Yeah, Greer at the end of the Greer. episode. And so when um, and Greer's time with TJ, wow. Yeah, his his little uh, TJ is doing psych evaluations in this episode, yeah. and he is. I mean, he is literally his his uh, character uh, when it was originally being cast was nicknamed Psycho. So do a psych evaluation for a guy whose nickname is Psycho. And he kind oh, of is that. in this scene. He was when he was, you know, just flat out, like, you know, laid it out about his dad. And you're just kind of like, whoa. I don't know if it was my TV or the way they, you know, the the sound on the film. But it was, I wasn't sure if she said, 
um, after they talked about Iraq, did she go back and say, tell me about your dad? Yeah, she said, well, you know, you brought him up, so tell me about your dad. And he said, basically gave her one warning and said, don't go there. And, and she pressed it, and he, without Got saying him. a word, stood up and left, which is great. That struck me, though, as, one, he did bring it up, so she really wasn't going anywhere with it. But at the same time, he, you know, it was. I well, gave Psych 101, if somebody brings up their father, you ask them about it. Well, and I think in his mind it was, I told you all I'm going to tell you about him. Mm-hmm. Maybe I missed it in an episode, in in the two episodes I haven't seen. I have to wonder where, like you said, now you, we've got Young and Telford having this major butting of heads in conflict. Then you've got Greer, who's already done one assault on Telford and is definitely got Young's back, especially when mm-hmm. um, in the previous episode when they were... Um, you know, drawing the names from the lottery, and he was right there with Young. Yeah, he's definitely got his back. You got to wonder, you know, if Telford comes on that ship, and what if he's in Young's body? That puts Greer in a quandary. Yeah, and he's already done it once. Maybe it was one of the episodes that you missed, but in Earth, Telford showed up, and the first thing that he did when he took command was lock Greer up again. Oh, so other characters uh, getting their psych evals. Um, Dr. Franklin is apparently having a hard time. He's <laughs> sad about his garden. But um, the plant sprouted at the end. How cool was that? Yeah, that was a nice little nice little touch for his character. Um, he's, he's kind of an everyman. There's a lot of, of everyman characters uh, mm-hmm. in the supporting I, cast I, I loved here. his thing, though, when he was going off about everything. And then to top it off, I'm shot by one yeah. of you people. <laughs> one of your people. Now, that's an interesting comment. That's not something that, that I think you would have heard on Atlantis uh, or at the SGC. One of your people. Uh, oh, yeah. There's the there's signaling a definite, a, a definite division between, I don't know, maybe it's between scientists and military or civilians and military or or what. Mm-hmm. But it also goes on with, you can see the camp playing out for Rush and for Young. The camps, yeah. Yeah, in the sense of, because, and I think that's more of the science and, oh, there's another word I wanted, but I'm going to go with the scientists for the most part that are working with him, like when they were saying, you know, well, it's politics, and, you know, as long as he holds out for a little while, he can now turn around and say yes and blame it on Rush. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm kind of segueing into another another thing here, too, because we had the big discovery of the chair. And so that was, I thought, no, I really was, I liked that, I have to say. So, but before we get off the other the other supporting characters, what's going on with Spencer? You yeah, know, Big Baldy. What was the... Yeah, the la- he took, takes this last pill. Number one, what are the pills? Yeah, we've been watching him take pills for a few weeks. It looks like he's taken his last one now, so whatever yeah. sanity he had is quickly eroding. Very quickly. Again, now this makes some sense to me, though. But it may, may have, I, I probably could have done without the pills. And just, it made sense that you're going to have a few people that just pretty much lose their marbles out here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, that dude is a live wire. Mm-hmm. And to have somebody that has access to guns and is that freaking big? Yeah, I was surprised <laughs> that Young could even even manhandle him as much as he did. I mean, obviously Spencer's not fighting back because it's a CEO. Right. But uh, Spencer's a big buff dude, and I met Justin Louie in person, and he's significantly shorter than, than Sergeant Spencer is. I think what Young reminded me of in that particular scene was a pit bull. Yeah, yeah. Just right up. And, and I actually, I had to give, you know, kind of gave you a segue into all the aggression that Young was already feeling. 
Hi guys, Rob from the UK again here. Just uh, watched the latest episode, Life, and loved it. I think Colonel Young is probably turning into my favourite character, other than Eli, anyway. Uh, I just, I loved him in this episode. He was able to keep calm uh, when <laughs> I really, really thought he was going to uh, go off on uh, on Rush when uh, he got pulled out of being able to punch Telford, but... Uh, he managed to pull it together. He managed to stay calm and got his uh, got his own back later on in the episode. I, I absolutely loved that at the end when he got his own back. Also, so uh, now it seems that Eli is pretty much the only character on the show that's not getting any. Uh, so I don't know. Maybe Destiny's going to realise this and is going to plot a course to the planet with the beautiful princesses with six breasts or something. That uh, Eli's going to be able to go off and get a girlfriend. Maybe he is hoping anyway. So, but that, you know, see, so now we're wondering, where's that going to go? You know, are we going to end up with somebody, somebody dead? Spencer is a fuse. He is a, he is a lit fuse. I mean, now mm-hmm. that his pills have run out, especially, whether he was taking antipsychotics or whatever it was, he is now a lit fuse. So yeah, it is, boy. the clock is ticking. It is a matter of time before that guy goes off. And boyfriend has some issues with anybody weaker than him. The way he was on the, you know, the people, that amazed me. That that whole, I guess, what I kind of considered a sheep mentality when all these people are just, you know, and it could just be that, you know, and that is what would happen. What you mean that, when when he's playing drill sergeant and yeah, and working and everybody out, just just letting it happen, and you know, letting what he's doing to the one guy happen. Is that indicative? You know, is that supposed to be an indicative moment of how society takes a step back? That you know, I, I don't want to be involved in this. They're under orders, and he's being sort of a, a classic, typical drill sergeant. Well, it might have been yeah. interesting, yeah, to, to see one of the other civilians step in there, though, and say, I mean, especially after the the poor guy barfed. I know, I know, you know, and he's just—I mean—a normal person would look at this and go, "Man, this guy is off his rocker." Is the human? reaction to step forward or to step backwards yeah you know you, but to have everybody do that you know because i'm i'm definitely you know shoot i've been known i know my bosses they they groan when something goes bad because they know nobody will say anything except for tammy because everybody will come and say it to me and i'll be like you know what there's nothing i can do you want action here supervisors here's your issue from your your employees deal mm-hmm you're confrontational. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not I, I get things done. That's the way that a confrontational person would put it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I don't like beating around the bush when things. You know, I don't like to be complained to if you're not willing. I guess that would be the thing. Is when I look at when I see some of how these characters are interacting, and how uh, how things are being written. Um, I'm definitely, I, I don't identify with a lot of that. I, I don't like complaining. I'm not one to complain. If I have an issue, mm-hmm. I, I, I address the issue mm-hmm. um, because I'd rather address it, move on, let's go. You know, we have things to get done and we don't need this. We don't need this crap. We don't need to sit here and fume over whether or not you slighted me or not. You know, we have other things to do. So when I watch how people interact and, um, in the shows, and and I won't I won't put this to just on SGU. It's probably one of the reasons why I don't watch a lot of TV. Is I don't find that entertaining. You know, like mm-hmm. when they have uh, the um, what's that thing? Where they the misunderstanding? You know, where somebody does one thing and they gets misunderstood. So now we have a half hour. An yeah, hour of that's this. that's classic, especially for you know romance films. The, the uh, classic romantic misunderstanding. 
leads mm-hmm. up to and, the big the big resolution. Yeah, and see, it's and that kind of thing just I I turn it off. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my husband will be the first one to tell you, oh yeah, she has a problem. She lets you know. <laughs> so when I watch that, like when that guy, you know, getting up in his face, um, that kind of thing, that kind of caught me. That nobody stepped up. The last character that I wanted to bring up was the one who is actually really, really positive in her psych eval, which is Chloe. And I like oh, Chloe's okay. character. We've we've talked a bit in the past on the podcast how she sort of needs to find her place now that they're settling mm-hmm. into the destiny long term. They're not thinking that they're going home tomorrow. Um, she needs to she needs to find a, a task, find something to do. Um, David compared her to Kess in the first season of Star Trek Voyager, and Kess sort of took on on the garden, the aeroponics bay, and she became a, a assistant medic uh, right. to the doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I still feel like Chloe needs something like that, and so that's uh, I like the character, and I love the actress. This this particular scene bugs me a bit because it's just Chloe is in love. She loves Matt. Matt completes her, and isn't it sweet? <laughs> well, no, I didn't get that from it, I have yeah. to say. I didn't. I got it more that she is, has latched on to Matt, but I think she did that from the moment he sat down and talked to her when her dad died. Yeah, yeah. I think emotionally she latched on to him at that time, and then it just kind of has evolved to whatever and for her, it's it's an emotional thing, and I do agree with you there. But I, I don't think it's a complete me thing as much as I can deal with, uh, as a female, a lot of times it's easier to anticipate and take care of someone else than deal with your own yeah. issues. One thing that really interests me about this scene is actually TJ. TJ's responses to Chloe when she's talking about Matt are interesting. She's sort of withdrawn and and a Mm -hmm. little bit upset by this. And I'm trying to figure out, is it because Matt is TJ's friend and TJ's not convinced that this thing with Chloe should be going on? Is it because TJ maybe has secret feelings for Matt? Or is she just thinking about her own relationship with Colonel Young. She wants to be with him, and so listening to to Chloe go on about how great it is having somebody like Matt to to support mm-hmm. her on this ship, when TJ herself doesn't have that. I'm not sure um, how to read that. I would say uh, one and three. I'm not too sure about two with feelings for Matt, um, other than friendship. Yeah. But I would say that if she knows Matt, I could see a definite with withdrawing of. Um, you know, total acceptance or approval if she knows that there's something, you know, if he's a player or if he has an issue. Um, and at the same time, I, now I came away with, from this particular episode, the last thing you said with her feelings of loss in the whole relationship with Young is what I thought of first. Mm-hmm. Okay. It, is that she was sad for herself. Yeah, that seems to be the more likely scenario. You know, she doesn't have anybody, and I think it meant... Uh, it made a difference too when she went in and talked to Young and said, "You know, talk to me." And it looked like he took a breath, and then it was, "It's just a bad day," you know. And I think that I give Young a lot of kudos for not, yeah, having the conversation about his wife with his former lover. Yeah, I thought that that was really a, a stand-up thing for Young's character. He, mm-hmm. I mean, his wife believes that he's acting inappropriately with her, so. 
he seems to have every excuse going for, you know, just letting her in a little bit. Not not restarting the affair, but l- mm-hmm. l- letting her in uh, to, to see a crack in his facade a little bit. And he doesn't do it, and I think that's really a stand-up of him. Yeah, I and I, at that particular moment, I was... I, I really liked... I thought that was a well-done thing there. I thought that was written well. Mm-hmm. Definitely stand-up there. So we've talked about love... And we've talked about sex, and uh, we've talked about drama. Let's talk about ancient technology. Yes. For a change, there's a, a <laughs> main storyline in the midst of all the character beats that are going on in the ship. There's a main storyline with the discovery of this ancient chair. What is that chair? I thought that was way cool. I liked the tie-in that that Rush brought in in the narrative with SG One. Yeah, and the first time I, I watched it, I missed it. I did not get the connection. Can you can you explain to our listeners what that chair is? It's an earlier version of the ancient knowledge device that Jack O'Neill put his head into. Mm-hmm. The and big base is, hugger. Yeah, the big base. Which we saw in... <laughs> I always think of Alien whenever I see that, you know. Yeah, uh, the technology design kind of reminds me of Alien. But it's the yeah. face hugger uh, repository of ancient knowledge that downloads... Right the ancient library into your brain which we and saw in the fifth race and we saw it again in lost city city and i liked that when you know when rush explained that this chair was like an earlier prototype of that mm-hmm. that this was an earlier version and it looks like something out of a frankenstein novel you know or frankenstein movie with the the things you know ting, you know you're like yeah. whoa like one of the guys <laughs> says it looks like it's it straps you down and shoots bolts into your neck yeah, into your and head, so, and um, so I like that tie-in that they they gave you something to draw on immediately. That okay, this the, I can see where you're coming now. Pr- you know, then the big thing of to to rush is now prove it, prove that's what it is, and it's mm-hmm. not going to hurt or kill anybody. Yeah, that's what young ones. Mm-hmm. And um, and I liked that, and I and I was rush is that that character. Wow. He's a character. You want to talk about somebody to me that is a sociopath. <laughs> Very manipulative in this episode. He deceives Very. the entire crew with this manufactured lie, creates manufactured data in the computer to sell it, that there is an Icarus-type planet that can potentially get them all home, and it's a year away. And the only way to find it and to get everybody home is for Young to stick somebody in that chair and take the download in their brain, knowing that it's probably going to kill them, so that they can get access to the ship's systems. As I watch him progress through the, you know, I like that Young knew immediately and just got in his face because of the fact that Rush is willing to sacrifice anyone for his means. Yeah, except himself. Except himself. And that, I thought, was another telling, I mean, the amount of, of cowardice, and that's where I say with the, with the sociopath type of mentality is he knows right from wrong. He just does not care. Yeah. He knows when he's crossing ethical boundaries. He knows when he's doing on that. He just does not care because in his mind, whatever he's doing is more important. And so when Young, I think he, you know, it's going to be that same thing. And Young sees through that and is right up on him. And shows him for, you know, it puts the mirror to him, basically. And, you know, this is what you are. You are a coward. What Rush wants, Rush doesn't want to go home, as far as we know. No. What Rush wants is yeah. access 
to the ship. He wants access to those core systems, which are apparently all hidden under this master password. And he knows what Young's goals are to get everybody home. So he's basically found a situation here with the discovery of this chair that he can attempt to make the means to Young's goal go through his own. What a boom for Rush. <laughs> and so, and then I, I was kind of struck at first with Eli's thing about, um, you know, when, when Rush called him and said, I need you to go do this or I need you. Eli made me laugh then where he's just like, you know, being straight up. No, I can't do it. Can't yeah. tell you why. He tells him what's on his shirt. That made me laugh. Yeah. You know, the yeah. first time I saw the chair, the reason that I missed the, the reference to the face hugger was I saw a chair and I thought, chair, an ancient chair, an ancient control yeah. chair, which yeah. we've seen on yeah. both SG-1 and Atlantis. Somebody sits mm-hmm. in that and, and can, I don't know, fly the ship? Yeah. But that's not what it is. It's not a precursor to the control chair. And uh, now, put you in another spot, though, was Greer, you know, making the statement that was in contradiction to Young, that he would be willing. That he's willing to sit in it? Hey, yeah, he said, you know, I'd be willing to do it if it got us home. Hmm. Little bits and pieces all throughout that. Yeah, this is set up for sure. The, mm-hmm. This is set up for something that's going to play out later this season. It's, it's. I'm reminded of the, the screenwriter's adage that uh, goes something like, if you show a gun in Act 1 of a film, that gun has to be fired by Act 3. There's a reason why this chair is being shown to us right now in a debate over... Mm-hmm putting somebody in it somebody's going to sit in that chair and i think mm-hmm, it's going to happen mm-hmm. re- pretty soon yeah it'll probably yeah with our like it'll be the mid-season finale yeah i think it's going to be the mid-season two-parter more likely which uh, doesn't get here until next year so it'd be what the second part when they sit in it or they sit in it and we fade to black overall i thought that life was uh not one of my favorite episodes of the season so far and it's not because there's anything in it that I particularly dislike. I mean, I've got I've got criticisms of of uh, the Chloe stuff, and I've got some criticisms of of Young and sort of the the predictability of the way that the the stuff with his his ex played out. But I like most of what's in this episode. It's sort of the the assembly of it that doesn't doesn't do it for me because it seems like in life there's really no A story. There's several B stories and lots of little C stories. There's no A story that's that's driving this, uh, all, holding all these together. And the B stories that we do see, Scott going back to Earth, Camille going back to Earth, uh, Young confronting Telford, and the ancient chair on the ship, I think are all sort of equal level B stories. I mean, I love the ancient stuff on the ship. I, f- I feel like we should be spending more of our time on the ship with things like the, the the discovery of the chair and what are we going to do with this and what does it mean if somebody sits in it. Instead, most of our time is spent on Earth. Uh, it's it's good stuff, it's important stuff um, to, to get to know the character's backstory and, and who they have back on Earth that, that is so important to them. It's like, you know, Voyager, you want to know not only that the Voyager characters have a reason that they want to return home to Earth, but, you know, it's nice to meet Tom Paris's father and mm-hmm. see see them get to talk once or twice and see that dynamic. It's a good episode in that it fills in lots of pieces. It's like you're building the architecture of a building, and every once in a while you just have to scoop in some, some dirt around the base just to hold everything up. 
I'm not right. calling this episode dirt by any means. Do not misunderstand me. <laughs> we'll call it mortar. It's mortar. It's a support structure. It's filling in lots of little things, but there's no mm-hmm. central A story that I could identify. So it's like it's a bridge episode. It's settling in the pieces and then setting up stuff that's going to come in the next couple of episodes, I think. I'm going to have to say overall I, I, I can't quibble with you on that. I, I agree with you that everything seemed to have equal importance, nothing stood out. I, I agree that I wish the, the the technology, what they're finding on Destiny, that's that was more of a forefront um, because of the fact that they're on the Destiny. And, you know, so far, you know, we definitely have a ship that's taking care of itself. So, and right. they're just trying to kind of play catch up with it. So it would be nice to see them you know, finding more things or, you know, and dealing with that kind of thing rather than, like you're saying, the continuous Earth. But again, this seemed more like, you know, a show that was, you know, the mortar was being put in between the bricks. Yeah. And it was all the little the little filler things to kind of give us different, you know, feelers about how each each thing was going. And where they go from here, we'll see what builds from this. Yeah. I and like the so, music a lot. The, oh my gosh! The two songs the song that they use, I, yeah, both the songs. There's the the uh, uh, worst day since yesterday, as at the beginning and at the end, and then there's one at the middle with with Camille. Um, I love both of those songs. I thought they were great oh, choices. I'd have, go, I'd have to go listen. I watch it again to see. The, I don't remember the Camille one. I just yeah. remember. I think the reason I the first song, uh, the another bad day, is because number one they played it so long in both the front and the end. But I liked the song. I thought it was a great song choice. I have to say, though, I could not stand the voice of the guy singing it. <laughs> that grated on me. That didn't bug me at all. Totally I like the fact that, that the song and the lyrics are, are so depressed and depressing. But the mm-hmm. the voice mm-hmm. and the tempo of, of the song is just kind of upbeat and almost fun. Yeah, like, oh, yeah, that's what this is. Yeah, it's a, it's a toe-tapping, depressing song. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, guys. This is... Thomas from Ontario, and I'm just calling about the Stargate Universe episode Life, and all I have to say is, yay for contemporary music, and yay for Telford finally getting what he deserves. I just think it's a little inconsiderate, though, because now Volker is going to get blamed, which, oh, I kind of liked him. He was a funny character. Okay, let's quibble. It's quibble time. My first quibble, David and I have talked about this uh, recently, I think in the Earth podcast a couple weeks ago. Uh, what qualifies somebody for uh, clearance, for being able to, to uh, go and, and talk to them and tell them, I'm on this ship far, far away? Uh, like, apparently apparently Sharon knows that Camille is not just uh, occupying somebody else's body, but is on a ship far, far away. Just a little right. bit more information than, than, than we knew before was being disclosed. So... Uh, not really a quibble as much as a question still. What qualifies somebody to be cleared, to be let in on the secret? Uh, yeah, apparently there's still no non-disclosure agreement that they have to sign. But there's just, it's mentioned in this episode, she's been cleared, she hasn't been cleared. Quibble number two has to do with the body swapping and the communication stones, which again, I want to I talk about when we get to the break after the first of the year. It seems like everybody who receives one of these visitors in somebody else's body has been really ready to embrace their family or their, in, in this case with Sharon, their lover, in mm-hmm. another person's body. It brings up some interesting questions, and, and again, maybe it's not really a quibble with the episode, but it's, uh, 
what's the thought process? What if Camille had been beamed into a man's body and gone to see oh. Sharon? Would the dynamic have been different? It seems like it would have to be different. And that would be something I think they would need to address. Or is that even possible? I hadn't even thought of that. I've got to say, looking at my notes here, they're not quibbles in the sense that I'm nitpicking at the episode, saying this doesn't make sense, or this was wrong, or this was not explained. It's it's more like these are little details that stand out to me that uh, didn't necessarily come up in the main discussion, but it seems like it's worth pointing out things like uh, the age of Lieutenant Scott. Uh, and I'm trying to figure out the timeline of his age and the, the uh, stuff we learn uh, from the baby mama. Uh, he was 16. Because it doesn't seem to be lining up. Uh, maybe How this one is more, more of a quibble. Uh, she it... was 16 when she got pregnant. How old? And when he's 16? We know that his priest died. His, his surrogate father, the priest, died when he was 16. That's what he said to Chloe in Air Part 3. He was 16 when the priest died, and he's got this flashback of talking to the priest about mm-hmm. having gotten this girl pregnant. He tells us in his Kino video, I looked it up in Darkness, that he's 26, and the baby is now 8 years old. Add a 9-month pregnancy onto that. So it was probably 9 years ago, which would have made him about 17 when he got her pregnant. Now, see, and my thought was is that when they found out she was pregnant, they were both 16, and then the priest drank himself to death. Yeah, as a result. Yeah, and at least from and, at least from Matt's and, perspective, as a result, mm-hmm. right now, could it have been that he was just shy of seventeen at that time? Yeah, and you you could maybe do that. That it was it was the numbers are close enough that maybe he was about to turn seventeen, and he's you know just recently turned twenty six or something like that to kind of squeeze the the timeline together so that it makes sense and bring it in there. Yeah, I, you know, but I have to agree with you that that level of attention to detail does need to be happening if you're going to make that kind of a storyline. We've been talking since the start of the show about the age of the destiny because it's been said more than once that it's uh, hundreds of thousands of years old, whereas it's supposed to be older than Atlantis, and we knew that Atlantis is several million years old. So uh, there's an interesting little addition to that discussion in this episode where Rush says that the chair predates the ancient repository of knowledge, the face hugger that SG-1 found all the way back in season 2, which was now I guess 11 years ago since SG-1 mm-hmm. found that, that technology in the Milky Way galaxy. So this seems to be uh, on the way to establishing the destiny as, as old, 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 old. But it's not quite there yet, I think because the face hugger is not necessarily millions of years old. Uh, I don't think that the, the ancients necessarily left the face hugger there, or face huggers, the two that we've seen, before they evacuated the Milky Way galaxy. Because remember, some of them came back from Atlantis 10,000 right. years ago, uh, in Before I Sleep, and then we found out that they were off, some of them were off doing things in the galaxy, because we found that puddle jumper, uh, time-traveling puddle jumper in It's Good to be King in the 8th right. season of SG-1. So we know that maybe somebody like Janus, the ancient scientist, was off, not just living out his life on Earth 10,000 years ago, but was off inventing things and leaving his toys around on other planets. <laughs> so it's possible that the facehugger was part of that, That and the facehugger may not be more than 10,000 years old. Is there any such thing 
in the universe as, quote, naturally occurring Nequadria. This <laughs> is what we heard when Rush made up this Icarus-type planet that was a year away. It, uh, it, its core is naturally occurring Nequadria. So, refresh our memories. What's the difference between Naquita and Nequadria? When have we seen Nequadria? Isn't Nequadria processed? Isn't it like an extraction of Naquita? It's processed to enhance the... Well, it's, a, it's a, like a derivative mineral. Uh, this was what we saw on Jonas's planet. And Jonas's right. planet is the only place that we've ever seen it. And we found out in Fallout that it's artificial. It was created by a process, by right. the gold. Is there any such thing as naturally occurring Nequadria? Um, I don't know. The the other thing that, that is said in this scene is Eli looks at the at the data that Rush has, has manufactured and says that this planet, which is a pseudo-planet, has mm-hmm. a nearly identical mineral composition to the Icarus planet that got them there. So mm-hmm. does that mean that the Icarus planet had Nequadria? Well, that was going to be my question to you. <laughs> I was going to ask you, well, if the Icarus, would, you know, yeah, what we did didn't the Icarus know. Have? We didn't know what made it so special and so volatile. They never, I think, explicitly just, told us. They just it said would it make had sense. The, the power would, was within the. Yeah, and it would make a lot of sense if it was if it was in the Quadria core. I think that'd be cool. Well, that's everything we have on Life this week. If you want to look at full coverage of this episode, head over to GateWorld.net. You can see our episode summary, complete transcript. You can see photos from the episode. We have about a 1,000 high-definition screen captures. You can see our review of this episode and uh, other stuff. Omnipedia editions will be coming soon. And what else is going on? You can go over to the forum and you can talk about the episode. You can talk about it with Tammy. She's there. I am. I She's am. there. And I am willing to have constructive conversation. I don't get into this sucks. <laughs> constructive only. Yes, right. I only do constructive. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll scroll past you in the other ways. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I want that on a t-shirt. I'm scrolling past you. Thanks to everybody for your calls about this week's episode of Life. We also had uh, several voicemails on last week's episode, Time, that we want to listen to. So let's give those a listen. This is Ian, formerly of Aldergrove, BC, and now of Saskatoon. I have a couple of things that I want to talk about. The first is from Air Part 3, when we've talked to, I've heard you talk about the ship that detached itself from the Destiny. I had recalled them talking earlier in that episode about how the ship, le- ship left beacons so that it could be found by when the nine-digit gate address was dialed. So it was my idea that that thing was actually a beacon that it left behind. Also, I wouldn't be surprised to find out at some point in the future that one of the previous ships was actually inhabited by ancients, and they inhabited one of the planets and set up a colony. Hey, Darren and David, this is James in Las Vegas. A long time since I've called in, but I have been faithfully listening and watching the show and I've been really enjoying Universe so far, but I'm calling in specifically about Time, because that has been my favorite so far of the new series. Uh, really reminded me of the old series. It had a lot of the same feel. Uh, just got back to that simple formula of you know going to a planet and encountering an alien life form and what happens. And I just thought it was done really well, especially the, the Eli moments are always great, but the Eli moments in this one were just, just classic, picking his 
top five, you know, desert island movies and the very beginning when the recording on the Kino ends when you see Chloe die and it just pans back and you see Eli and everyone watching it and Eli just goes, what the, and it cuts to the title credits. I just thought that was classic Stargate and I loved every minute of it. Hey guys, this is Julius from Cleveland. Um, the only other Stargate I've seen before this was the original movie and I just got turned on to this and I really like it found you guys on iTunes, and your podcast really rocks. And I just wanted to say, since you guys are also into Battlestar Galactica, that when Palmer went into the um, puddle on the that desert planet, I think what really happened was she went back in time something like uh, 150,000 years and uh, ended up on Battlestar Galactica as the news reporter. Uh, I just thought that was funny because uh, same actress. Hi, Darren and David. Shirt and tie here once more in Ireland. Just a comment about SGU. I'm enjoying this new Stargate series. It certainly is a slow burn. I like the character development, and as the episodes air, I feel more invested with each of the characters. Initially, I was skeptical of the communication stones as a story mechanism, but the conundrums that they present are intriguing. The use of one character to tell the story of another presents limitless possibilities. The visual effects are superb, and the rendering of the ship is top class. I feel that time has been the best episode so far. The use of the solar flare will be familiar mechanism to long-term fans, but I wonder what new fans unfamiliar with it made of the short, terse explanation of how it works. I also like the ending of the episode of Time, as it assumes a certain level of audience knowledge, rather than the neat, well-signposted endings of SG-1 and SGA. Overall, I feel that the dynamic of opposing views and the hidden agenda of Rush in particular is a wonderful central premise. I look forward to more episodes in what is proving to be a very different incarnation of the Stargate story. I'm enjoying your dissection of each episode in these podcasts and look forward to more discussion. Best to you and all podcast listeners from Ireland. Calling about the first part of time, and I think that there was a clue in that show about Russia's motivations, and it was just a throwaway discussion with Eli, but I think he is looking for the keys to ascension because perhaps he wants to ascend and join his wife or something along that nature hey guys uh, thank you for your podcast it is great it's look forward to it every week and i do have a uh, theory and if it's been touched on i do apologize what if rush is actually an ancient he was maybe in stasis the whole time and now he's trying to fulfill his mission what if rush is actually an ancient that's that's the theory. Wild and crazy theory. Do you think it's possible that Rush could be an ancient who now is on a super secret mission of his own? Yeah, no, it's science fiction. You can't put it past him. Can't put it past but him. We don't know a whole lot about him. this guy's backstory. No, um, you know, I mean, he's got his music. He's got his picture that makes him drop a tear. Outside of that, he's a sociopath. <laughs> <laughs> a sociopathic ancient. That would be cool. And, I, you know, the ancients, in my opinion, I don't like the ancients. Oh, yeah? Because of the fact that they weren't willing to help. Yeah, too hands-off. Those jerks. Yeah, they were, they were a little too hands-off. And so, you know, and it could be, I mean, you know, Rush could be another Loki. That's the one cool. that was that was dabbling in everything for the Asgard. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't, you know, he was off to the side. I that's, that's a theory, you know, it's science fiction. Hello, this is Carl from Hawaii. And I just call in about a theory. Uh, I think that Eli and Chloe are going to end up together. And I think how it's going to come about is that Chloe's going to find out that Scott is cheating on her. 
and so then um, she's going to be crying about it, and uh, Eli is going to, like, comfort her, and then eventually they're going to work their relationship up. Um, and I'm getting this theory from my mom because when we were watching it, I told my mom, oh, I don't think Eli's ever going to end up with her. And then she's like, well, maybe um, he will eventually. So, My only answer to that would be is only if they want to say Stargate as the universe turns. As it, well, now, again, that's it would certainly be a soapish drama. But yeah. uh, it would also, I, would, I think it would be interesting, especially because Matt and Chloe got together so early in the series if their relationship did not last. And if we got back to that, Matt is a sexual addict mm-hmm. story. If that actually panned out, then uh, he's he's not necessarily going to be able to be a one-woman man. I did have to say I liked the ending if, if with Eli and Chloe uh, with the yoga. Yeah, Eli doing He's not going to go running. No. But he'll do the yoga with Chloe. That was that I was like, nice. Mm-hmm. And that was a cool pull-away shot. Yeah. For sure. Well, everybody, thanks once again for those calls. Here's this week's listener question. We have no new episode coming up this week because of the Thanksgiving holiday in the U.S. So uh, next week on the podcast, we'll be talking about one of the most upfront and center issues with the first nine episodes of Stargate Universe, one of the more controversial issues about the show, which is sex. Sex on SGU. <laughs> And Tammy's snickering. I am, because I just think of you and David. I know. Me and David. Isn't it going to be an interesting show? Um, no, we're, we're, we're going to have a special guest on next week. And uh, it's not a woman, I'm, I'm sad to say. So it will be three guys talking oh about gosh. sex on SGU. But uh, we'll try and make it a, if I may say, stimulating discussion. Have your wife sit next to you so she can hit you when you say anything <laughs> stupid, okay? You know, I can't believe you guys are having a discussion on sex with no female. Well, not about sex itself, but about uh, the show's use and portrayal. Okay. So okay. here's here's this week's listener question. Call in right. if you have a response. What do you think of the inclusion and the portrayal of sex on Stargate Universe? Has it been appropriate for learning about these characters? Or has it been gratuitous and unnecessary? Give us a call on the GateWorld podcast hotline. That number is new. It's area code 951-262-1647. Or you can record a short message on your computer and email the WAVE or MP3 file to webmaster at gateworld.net. We'll try and get as many comments on the show as we can. So next week on the podcast is Sex on SGU. And then we'll come back and do the last episode of 2009, last episode of SGU which is Justice. That'll be our December 9th show, and then the podcast's last episode of the year is on December 16th, and we'll do a Stargate 2009 year in review. Thanks, everybody, for tuning into the show this week, and special, special thanks to Tammy Farrar from GateWorld Forum for stopping by. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. That was fun. Come by anytime. I have a blast. Actually, David came up with a really interesting idea for this uh, this break of, of episodes before SGU comes back in April uh, for you, for you and, and hopefully somebody else to come on and, and have a little debate. So I hope it happens. I don't think he's told you about it yet. Not, not that. Uh, we'll see, we'll see. And uh, I'd be more than willing. So you can leave us feedback at the hotline. Again, that number is 951 or uh, send us in a recording, and if uh, you want to chat with others about our discussion 
this podcast or any other, you can head over to the podcast feedback thread at GateWorld Forum. So from GateWorld, this is Darren. And this is Tammy. And we'll see you back here again next week.